0: Great, Kate, thank you uh, very much for reading. Uh, May I pray for us as we uh, come to look at those verses. Um, The writer of the Hebrews uh, says these words, For the word of God is living and active, any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Uh, Lord God, we realise your word is powerful, Uh, It is the sword of the Spirit. And we pray now that as we look at it, that it would do what you promise that it will do. Uh, That it would um, get to the heart of who we are. That it would expose the lies that we believe. And that you would show us yourself uh, through your word. Uh, May we see uh, Jesus more clearly. May we love him more dearly. May we follow him more nearly. For his sake we pray. Amen. Well, Welcome to you from me. It's great to uh, have you with us. Uh, My name is Will. I'm the Minister at the moment at Trinity, as Mike was uh, saying. It's lovely to have you with us. Um, I'm a bit of a reader, if um, you don't know that already. Um, I particularly enjoy reading biographies. Um, Not so long ago, I read a uh, rather large biography of the war poet Siegfried Sassoon. Some of you probably studied him in English uh, many years ago uh, at school, or maybe in English literature students. You're probably... Yeah, will know the name, I'm sure. Um, this particular biography was a pretty weighty tome. I think it weighed in about 520 pages. That was a fairly uh, sizable uh, book. About a third of that was given over to the First World War. Makes sense, doesn't it? Seafree Sassoon is best known for being a war poet and one who was decorated and he chucked his, um, his uh, war decoration uh, away into the River Thames, or so they, they think. Only three pages out of all those uh, 500 or so pages were given over to his death. Contrast that with the four lives that the Bible gives us of the Lord Jesus. Someone has estimated that somewhere between about a quarter and a half of each of them is given over solely to his last few days. Clearly, if you're writing a biography, you focus on the things that really matter, don't you? Makes sense. Any good biographer would do that. Clearly, the early followers of Jesus thought that the most significant thing, or the most significant element of Jesus' life was in fact the way it ended. It was his death. The same, of course, is true for Christians today as well, isn't it? Uh, the cross is the universal symbol of the Christian faith. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, you will find a cross. Most churches are laid out in the shape of a cross, or certainly if they're traditional uh, churches, they're laid out in the shape of a cross. Uh, you'll find a cross all over churches. you find it on Bibles. Sometimes people will wear one uh, round their necks. The central service of the Christian church is the Lord's Supper, which focuses on the death of Jesus. It's pretty incredible, isn't it, really? Especially when we think that the cross was actually a method of execution. In fact, it was a method of execution that was considered so cruel that the Romans got rid of it in AD 315, because they just thought, well, you can't do this, it's too inhumane to other human beings. Well, this passage uh, that we have in front of us, that we've just heard read, has been described by one very, very distinguished uh, Bible scholar as the possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. That's a big claim, isn't it, for any piece of writing, I think. But I think I'm tempted to agree. Why am I tempted to agree? I'm tempted to agree because... At its heart, it's the Apostle Paul explaining for us just why the death of Jesus Christ is so significant and what it achieves for us. We're beginning a um, new series uh, this evening at Holy Trinity in the evenings, looking at the foundations of our faith. What are the core essentials? And I think there's no better place to start than thinking about the cross, and especially as Paul describes it here. Uh, I don't know much about art, but apparently art experts say the best way to appreciate a masterpiece is to examine it from lots of uh, different angles. And that's exactly uh, what the New Testament does with the death of Jesus. It comes at it from from different angles to show us its uh, full significance and its full beauty. And that's the approach of uh, St. Paul here. Uh, He has three pictures, or kind of images, that are drawn from life to show us different aspects of the cross and what it achieved. And I think the best way of tackling the passage is to look at each of those pictures uh, in turn. Adam, do we have any slides at all? We do. On to the first one. Let's look at the first one. What's the first picture that um, the Apostle Paul draws out for us? It's this. It's a picture from the law court. And it's explaining for us that Jesus' death deals with the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. Uh, imagine this picture with me, if you, if you can. Uh, there's a prisoner in the dock, and the judge is preparing to pass sentence. They've had the trial, it's clear that he's uh, guilty, uh, and the, prisoner, the uh, judge is preparing to pass sentence, which is going to be a heavy fine. Uh, all of a sudden, the judge gets up, takes off his wig, puts it to one side, uh, takes off his robe, and gets out his checkbook. He writes a cheque for the amount, and he gives it to the prisoner uh, to be paid. The price has been paid. The prisoner is uh, free uh, to go. He's a free man. That is approximately what Paul says God has done for us in the death of Jesus. And you can see it, can't you, in verse 24. He says we are justified freely by his grace. Justified freely. Uh, That word, uh, justify, is a legal word. Uh, It means to be declared in the right, legally. Or to put it another way, I was taught this in Sunday school, and I think it's still pretty helpful. It is to be treated just as if I'd never sinned. Some of you will have heard that. Great way of remembering it. Just as if I'd never sinned. It is to be declared right with God through the free gift of God in the death of Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I didn't realise I was in the dock in the first place. Uh, Why do I need to be declared right? Well, the reason why, we can see, can't we, in the middle of the passage, Paul tells us, if you look down, verse 23. He says, the reason why we need to be declared right is because there's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Without any exception, uh, each one of us has turned our back on God and rejected his rule. That's what the Bible describes as sin, or or it's lawlessness, effectively, it's rebellion. It's saying to God, we don't care about your, your rules, we don't care about you being in charge, we want to be in charge ourselves. The Bible says that all of us have done that, whether we choose to admit it or not, that's what we've done, each and every single one of us. We might think that, uh, compared to Jimmy Savile, say, or Adolf Hitler, we we, we look rather good. And maybe we do. But actually, as Paul says here, when we compare ourselves to God,
1: in all his blazing
0: glory, we fall well short. None of us reach the standard uh, that God has set for us. And the Bible says that just as we can expect to uh, have to pay the penalty if we break the laws of our land... Uh, so, we must expect to face the penalty for breaking God's laws, for disregarding Him as the right ruler in our lives. The penalty isn't a fine, as it was in that story I, I told, but it's the penalty of being cut off from God forever, being separated from Him, of, of, of spiritually uh, death, spiritual death. This penalty for sin, this is the penalty that the Bible says all of us. Must face. And this is the penalty that Jesus dealt with on the cross. Uh, How it works, we can see, can't we, from verse 26. Paul explains for us. He says, He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We can see God is both just and the one who justifies. Uh, at the cross, the justice of God was perfectly satisfied in full. God was true to his character as fully just. The penalty of sin was paid in full. There's nothing more to be paid as Jesus died in our place. And yet at the same time, wonderfully, God is able to justify, to, that is to, to accept all those who will trust in Jesus. God has found a way of both upholding his law and his justice, and yet being merciful as well. That is wonderful, isn't it? It is a a wonderful truth to believe. But actually, it's even better than that. Because the word justify doesn't just mean not guilty, but it also means that someone is declared righteous as well. So if we go back to that illustration I told about the the courtroom, uh, Jesus hasn't just paid the fine for us, but he's credited our bank account as well uh, with his grace, his righteousness and his holiness. So not only does God see us not guilty, but he also sees us as possessing Jesus' goodness and his righteousness as well. We are justified uh, through uh, freely by his grace. You can see that picture of the uh, London skyline. There's two kind of iconic uh, sites there. In the foreground is the uh, Old Bailey, and that's the famous statue of justice. And you can see it, can't kind of, sort of standing there with the sword of wrath and the scales of justice. And it's a reminder that you can't really see it in that picture, but the statue is blindfolded. And it's a reminder that, that, that to, in order to have a just society, for justice to be done, uh, the, the scales of wrath, uh, the sword of wrath has to fall on those who have done wrong. And yet on the other side, just behind it, you can see St. Paul's Cathedral, can't you? I don't know if you can quite make this out, but on top of St. Paul's Cathedral, there is a cross. And it seems to me that is a wonderful picture, isn't it, of the truth that Paul explains for us here. God is just, and his justice must fall. And yet on the cross, it fell on Jesus, and not on us. He's found a way to both be just and to, uh, to deal with the penalty of sin, and yet to be merciful and gracious to us. Uh, first of all, Jesus' death deals with the penalty of sin. Let's move on, shall we, to the second picture. Can we have the second slide I'm. Thank you. Uh, the second picture that we see in this passage is this. It's from the marketplace, and it explains that Jesus' death deals with the power of sin. Uh, just uh, the other day I was uh, idly flicking through um, the TV channels and I switched on to a programme called Can't Pay, We'll Take It Away I don't know if any of you have watched it uh, I'm not sure whether it's a great programme to be watching but it is strangely compelling um, it's a TV programme that follows debt collectors they go around basically knocking on people's doors and, uh, and, and taking their stuff off them and kicking them out of their homes and, uh, in order for them to pay their debts uh, it, it's a powerful reminder of the consequences of falling into debt. Uh, It really is quite a a kind of powerful program in its way. It's also slightly sort of voyeuristic, but we'll leave that to one side uh, for the moment. (laughs) Uh, Debt isn't a new problem at all. Um, It was just as much of a problem in the ancient world uh, as well. Um, Arguably, the consequences if you fell into debt in the ancient world were even more serious than if uh, you fall into debt nowadays. Uh, If somebody was unable to pay their debts... Uh, they would be forced often to sell themselves and their family into slavery in order to pay it. Uh, if they were very, very lucky, then some kind person might come along and pay the fee to release them. But only when the debt was paid uh, could they go free. And that's the picture that Paul is drawing for, uh, on uh, for the second picture. He says in verse 24, uh, it has uh, happened through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We have redemption uh, through Jesus. And he's telling us that the death of Jesus has bought us free from the power or the grip of, that sin has on us. Uh, sin, as we've seen, brings with it a penalty that we uh, deserve. But the Bible also tells us that sin doesn't just bring with it a penalty, it also brings with it a power. It has power. It has power, doesn't it, to, to leave us enslaved to it. Now, Jesus himself said as much uh, to uh, those who followed him. He said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. When we sin, it enslaves us. It has us in its grip. Now, sadly, probably we're all too familiar with the power that, um, that, that drugs or gambling or alcohol can have over a person kind slavery, that, that grip that um, they can have. But actually sin has a very similar power to it. Uh, it grips people. It won't let them go. No matter how hard they try, they find that they can't uh, get free of it by themselves. You only have to ask anybody who has struggled with a pornography habit, for example, or even just a, a gossip habit. Uh, you can sort of set new resolutions. You can say, "Well, I'm going to put some new stuff on my computer that will stop me going onto those same sites." I'm going to try really hard to stop gossiping, but actually, willpower enough doesn't quite get there, does it? It's not enough. Sin has power. The good news of the cross is that Jesus' death sets us free from the power of sin. The Bible explains that when we accept the work of Jesus on the cross, on our behalf, in our hearts, uh, we receive new hearts. And God sets up residence inside us by his Holy Spirit. Uh, he helps us day by day to become more like Jesus. Of course, we will still sin, and we will do it sadly until Jesus returns, or we go to be uh, with him in glory. But sin has lost that grip that it once had. Another uh, illustration the Bible uses, or a verse in the Bible says, uh, we've, been, uh, free, we've passed over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been freed from the whole of one, uh, one kingdom, sin, into uh, a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Whichever way we look at it, the, the, the truth is clear. Uh, sin has lost its grip on us. No longer are we slaves to sin. Uh, Just the other day I was driving in my car and on the radio they said something like that the UK national debt uh, stands at approximately something like £1.2 A mind mind-boggling sum of money and I have no idea how you write that out uh, in uh, in figures. Uh, Paying that debt off is going to be pretty costly. There's no two ways around it. Lots of different ways. It might mean economy drives and uh, that sort of thing. Um, Who knows? It's a big sum of money, isn't it? But friends, it it pales in comparison with the cost that had to be paid to set you and me free from our sin. Paul tells us here what that cost was, verse 24. That cost came by Christ Jesus. It was Jesus himself that was, his life was the cost of our freedom. It was out of love for us that he freely Gave his life. We were thinking about that last week, weren't we? Jesus said that nobody takes my life from me, but he freely gave it uh, on our behalf. He'd done nothing wrong. He endured the beatings, uh, the shame, the agony of being hung up on the cross as a cr- criminal. But most of all, he endured the rejection of his loving Heavenly Father. The separation that he experienced on the cross, as he took uh, our sins, our debts on his shoulders, uh, he cried out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" It was the uh, God's uh, uh, the separation that he felt as he bore our sin away, and with his final breath, he declared it to be paid. Saint John tells us that Jesus' last words on the cross were this: "It is finished." It's a Greek word. It's tetalestai. It's one word in the Greek. And it, it means that another way of translating it is to say it is paid. It's what you'd write across a bill when someone had paid it in full. It is paid. Jesus has paid the price that we might be freed from the slavery of sin and be his treasured possession forever. Uh, I read somewhere that apparently in the Welsh Valleys during the Depression, uh, before the NHS had uh, come into being, there was a very devoted doctor um, who served a very, very poor um, area of um, the Valleys. Uh, He would keep a book of his patients. Uh, One day, apparently, his wife went into his uh, office and she found it open on his desk. And name after name of people in their community, his patients, uh, were listed and they had a red line through them. And a little note next to it, uh, forgiven, because they are unable to pay. Uh, all of us, friends, owe a debt that we could never pay. All the uh, riches in the world, all the years that we could have, nothing could possibly pay the debt that we have to God. We're shut up in the power of sin. And yet the good news of the cross is that Jesus has set us free from the power of sin. The debts are paid. We're set free from our chains. That we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised. Jesus' death frees us from the power of sin. Let's look at the third picture, Adam, if we, uh, we may. Uh, the third picture is a rather unusual picture. It comes from the temple. And it tells us that Jesus' death deals with the partition of sin, the partition, or if we like, the separation of sin. Uh, we're probably quite familiar, I guess, with those first two pictures, pictures of the law court, perhaps, the picture of the marketplace, but this one is rather unusual. We, we don't really have much to do with temples uh, nowadays in our, um, our, our day and age. Uh, we might not be very familiar with it, but we can be pretty sure that ancient Jews would have been very familiar with this picture. Uh, Because the temple was right at the heart of daily Jewish life. Uh, If somebody sinned, uh, they would go to the temple with an animal. They'd uh, go to the priest, they'd ask the priest to sacrifice this animal on their behalf. And what would happen was the person would go forward, uh, they'd lay their hand on the animal's head. The priest would uh, kill the animal and then he'd take the blood and he'd sprinkle it uh, all over the altar. And uh, when someone did that, that person could be treated as forgiven. The sin had been transferred onto the uh, head of the animal. Uh, Once a year, uh, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sort of do this for everybody. Uh, He would sacrifice on behalf of the nation in order to deal with their sins as a people. Again, it's the same kind of idea. They'd bring an animal to be uh, sacrificed, they would pray, uh, and then the high priest would go into the inner part of the temple, behind the curtain, the place where God himself uh, dwelt. Uh, in fact, they, they, he, would, uh, he would go, and they would only go once a year, and they were so frightened of uh, what would happen to him if he did so, they'd tie a rope around his uh, ankle, so if he, if, if he died or keeled over in there, they could drag him out again. There you go, a little known fact for you there. Uh, he would offer the blood of uh, the bulls and the goats uh, so that the people could be forgiven. Why all the fuss? Sounds like a lot of fuss, doesn't it? A bit bit messy, a lot of effort. Uh, Why all the fuss? Well, in essence, it's about this. The the Old Testament sacrifices were essentially object lessons. They were teaching God's people lessons. They taught God's people that sin is serious. You couldn't just blunder into God's presence. You can't just kind of run in and and, and, and sort of treat God as, as your mate Uh, He's a holy God. Unless sin is dealt with, uh, there are going to be problems. He cannot dwell with an unholy people, the Bible tells us. Uh, uh, Our God is a consuming fire, the scriptures describe him as. It taught God's people they couldn't just blunder into God's presence. Sin had to be dealt with. But it also taught them the way in which sin had to be dealt with. And it was nothing less than through the shedding of blood. Yes, it was messy. Yes, it was time consuming. But it was teaching God's people a lesson that it was only through the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Of course, the blood of animals in themselves didn't really achieve very much. The full reality, Paul tells us here, came through the cross with the Lord Jesus. Verse 25 explains it for us God presented him, Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Uh, That word that that we've translated sacrifice of atonement is actually a word which we don't use in church very often. It's a word called propitiation. Uh, It's explained for us, if you look at the footnote down at the bottom of your Bible, and uh, it explains for us rather rather nicely what it means. It's a sacrifice that uh, deals with uh, wrath. It turns it aside. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross deals with God's wrath. We don't like to think of God as wrathful, do we? We'd much rather think of him as a bit bit like a benign grandfather, a man in the world as originals adverts. But actually, if we'd read further back in Romans, we'll have realised that actually God is a wrathful God. Verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God is a holy God. Uh, God's wrath is not kind of like human anger, which just flies off randomly or uh, disproportionately. It is holy, just anger at at sin. It's his holy, settled hatred of sin and wickedness, and anything that stands against him and opposes him. The glorious news of the gospel is that at the cross, God's wrath was dealt with. That wrath, which meant that normally we could never get anywhere near him, has been dealt with. Uh, Because God uh, presented Jesus, or put him forward, as some Bibles translate it, as that sacrifice of atonement. God's wrath has been dealt with, and we can approach him without fear. If you'll know your Bibles, the account of Jesus' death on the cross uh, were told by the gospel writers. So at that moment, uh, the curtain in the temple tore open. That was the place where the high priest would go behind to splash uh, to, to the blood on the, on the Day of Atonement. And on the, when Jesus died, it was torn open to symbolise the access to God that Jesus' death uh, won for us. In the past, uh, Paul tells us in verse 26, God had uh, graciously and patiently passed over sins. But now, once and for all, the sacrifice for sin has been made, it's been dealt with, the relationship has been uh, restored. Uh, Jesus' death deals with the partition of sin. Uh, In the First World War there was a uh, painting that was painted by the the war artist as a sort of patriotic uh, painting and it showed a a dying engineer who was on the battlefield in uh, no man's land uh, and he was dying. He'd gone out to uh, repair something because in his hands there was a newly repaired telephone wire. Uh, The implication of the picture was pretty clear. Uh, Through this man's sacrifice uh, communication had been restored. And it the picture's for us rather nicely, doesn't it? What Jesus' death achieved for us. The sacrifice of Jesus repairs our broken relationship with God. The, the relationship that our sin had, had, um, had destroyed and that had provoked God's anger. He's dealt with God's wrath and opened up a new and living way uh, back to him. Uh, the death of Jesus deals with the partition of sin. Uh, Many years ago in the United States there was a a man called George Wilson. He committed a series of nasty unpleasant robberies, violent robberies and he was sentenced uh, to the electric chair. Uh, Just before he was due to be executed the US Supreme Court granted him a pardon. Amazingly George Wilson refused it. Uh, It's gone down United States' legal history because it went back to the Supreme Court in order to determine whether George Wilson had the power to reject a pardon that was given by the Supreme Court. Uh, They decided, actually, for the record, that he did. He was perfectly at liberty, even if it was what we might think was a completely stupid decision, to reject a pardon. Uh, Friends, the, the death of Jesus... Is the greatest pardon that the world has ever known. It's freedom, isn't it, from the penalty of sin. It's freedom from the power of sin. It's freedom from the partition of sin. And yet, if we want to benefit from it, then we must accept it. We must receive it. Paul tells us that as much in verse 22. He says it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We must believe, if we want to benefit from this death, and I trust we all do, we must believe that Jesus accomplished it on our behalf. It should have been us there, but it was the Lord Jesus. Uh, we should accept, we need to believe that Jesus accomplished it on our behalf, and we need to accept what he offers to us. If you want to put it another way, we need to cash the cheque. If you get given a cheque for a certain sum of money, it's useless until you cash it. And it's the same here uh, with the death of Jesus for us. And I want to ask us as we close, have you cashed the check? Is it true for you? Have you claimed what the Lord Jesus offers, what he won for you on that cross 2,000 years ago? He died to deal with our sin. If you haven't, why not? Why are you waiting? Do you please come and talk to me, talk to somebody who you came with, We would love to talk to you about what this means. It is the greatest thing that the world could possibly offer us. The world can't offer us it, it's offered by the Lord Jesus. Uh, Freedom from sin, forgiveness, why not? Maybe you have accepted that and you can think of the date uh, or uh, you know at some point that you have accepted it. Well, I want to ask you, are you continuing to rely on it? It seems to me that so often as Christians, we we somehow get the impression that we start at the cross of Christ, but we kind of graduate onto greater and higher things. Uh, That's not how the Christian life works, friends. (laughs) We never move away from the shadow of the cross. Every day, the reason that you and I are right with God, the reason that we have any right at all to uh, approach him, is because of the cross, because of what Jesus achieved there. It's not anything to do with our efforts or our performance. It's solely through what Jesus accomplished for us. And every day we have to come back to him and plead uh, with him and accept uh, what he's done for us, plead that work on our behalf to bring us back to God. It's always on the blood of Jesus and his righteousness that we rest. We always stand by his grace alone. St. Paul famously said that may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, may that be our boast as well. May it be the foundation of our faith. And may we pray. Lord Jesus, we will never fully know what um, happened that first Good Friday and fully what your death achieved for us. But we do know that it was a wonderfully significant death. We praise you that you freely gave your life on our behalf. We thank you that through your death we are put right with God. Thank you that we are freed from the power of sin's grip. Thank you uh, that we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father again. And we do pray, Lord Jesus, that we, like the Apostle Paul, would always based in the cross of Christ. We wouldn't be tempted to move away from it, but that we would always uh, plead the blood of the Lord Jesus as our grounds uh, for our acceptance uh, with God. Uh, please help us to do this this week and uh, for evermore. In Jesus' name, amen.